0: Well, welcome to Emmanuel. Good morning. How are you feeling today? Whether you're joining us at our Franklin campus, our Banta campus, our online campus, or here at the Greenwood campus, we want to welcome you. We're in a series right now called Make It Stick. We started this series last week, and it's really a series that uh, came from or, you know, was inspired by the beginning of the year. I love the beginning of the year. Anybody else just feel that way? I mean, there's all kinds of hope in the beginning of the year, because it seems like Man, you get a fresh start, a clean slate, a blank canvas you can kind of leave behind the last year, 2018, and start all over. And I think a lot of people actually feel that way. In fact, I think that's why over half of Americans set New Year's resolutions and they say, okay, this is the year I'm going to, you know, get in shape or this is the year I'm going to learn that language or create the, or, or learn that new skill or maybe spend some more time with my family or whatever it is. And uh, it's exciting because, you know, it's a great time to make some changes in your life. Unfortunately, as I said last week, if you were here, U.S. News reported that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail By the second week of February, just six weeks into the New Year's resolution, people start to give up and they say, oh, I failed again. And uh, for half of you, you're like, see, that's why I don't set New Year's resolutions. And I understand that and I get that, but I'm not so sure that's the right perspective. Maybe the right perspective would be, you know what, instead of giving up or not setting resolutions, how about we just look at the question and ask ourselves, how do we actually make the New Year's resolution stick? How do we create lasting change?" instead of not setting them or giving up, let's just look at this idea of how can we create lasting change so that we do learn the new language or we do improve our marriage or a relationship or whatever we're in, right? If we do lose the weight or save more money or whatever it is that we're trying to do, whatever we feel God is calling us to do in our lives. And so if you were here last week, we talked about The first principle of making it stick, and that is to have a compelling vision. You have to start with a target, right? The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. When we don't know what God is calling us to do in all the different areas of our lives, we're going to stumble all over ourselves. We're going to drift. We're going to end up places we we never thought we'd be, right? I said last week, a lot of people come to me and they say, man, I don't know how I ended up here. I do. I do. See, you didn't have a vision. You didn't have a picture. You didn't have something compelling to shoot for into your life. So you just drifted into areas that, that you shouldn't be in, right? So the power of a compelling vision, it gives us the energy to continue to push through and make the changes that we were created or that we desire to make. Helen Keller said it this way, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision, okay? So hopefully you did this week. You got some clarity on the different aspects of your life and you, and you kind of painted a picture Picture there. How many of you actually took some time, maybe alone or with your small group, to get a little bit of clarity on your life? Raise your hand. Okay, about 40% of you. That's depressing. But, but... <laughs> But that's okay. This is a work in progress. So I, I hope maybe if you didn't do it last week, you'll go back and you'll watch the talk and you'll get a little bit of clarity for each area of your life. Let's talk today about the second principle about how to make it stick and create lasting change in your life. By the way, you can use this information in August. You can use this information in September. It's not just a first of the year thing. This is how you create lasting change any time of the year in your life. Second principle of how to make it stick. We must... Make it stick by using consistency, by being consistent in our lives. If we want to turn the vision into reality, we have to have a plan that we execute on consistently in our lives. Recently, I came across something called the Sortes Paradox. It's an ancient Greek parable, and one of the versions of the paradox kind of goes like this. It starts with a question. Can one coin make a person rich? the answer is obviously what? No, right? No, it can't. And then it goes on to say, well, what about a handful of coins? Can a handful of coins make a person rich? And the answer, again, is no, it can't. But what if you took one coin every hour of every single day and you just dropped it in? Over 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Every hour, every day. At some point, here's how, the, here's how the parable goes. At some point, you'd have to admit that there's a, a line would be crossed, and you'd go from not being rich to being rich, right? And, and the paradox is, well, when does that actually happen? We don't really know. But the point is, is that the way that a person got there is by one coin at a time. And eventually, over time, what you end up with is something that looks like this over time it's the power of small investments made every single day of our lives how did we get here well we got here because we added one coin at a time You can call it compound interest, you can call it the compound effect, you can call it the accumulation factor, whatever you want to call it. The truth of the matter is, is that when you consistently do small things over time, this is what you get. It applies to our relationship with God, it applies to our health and fitness, it applies to our relationships, our marriage, our parenting, it applies to our business, maybe you're running a business, whatever it is that you're doing, it applies to this church... Whatever we do on a consistent basis accumulates to something good or <laughs> something bad. You with me? Tony Robbins said this. It's not what you do at once in a while that matters or that makes a difference. It's what you do, say it with me, every day that matters. It's what you do on a consistent basis that really makes a difference in your life. Why? Because of the accumulation factor. Things just add up every single day. Somebody asked uh, Stephen King, how did you write 89 books? That's how many books he's written to us thus far. Some of them have been turned into movies. Do you remember The Shining? Anybody? Red rum, red rum. Okay, I'm (laughs) scarred by it. I watched it when I was a kid. Don't watch it, okay? Anyway, 89 books this guy wrote. Somebody said, how'd you do that? He said, well, when I'm in a book project, what I do is I write 10 pages a day. Every day, 10 pages, 10 more pages, 10 more pages. Three months later, I have 180,000 words. These are not small books, friends. 180,000 word book is a very thick book. It takes him three months to write one book. And he writes every single day until the book is completed. That's the power of consistency. That's the compound effect. It's the accumulation factor. And it will work for writing a book. And I haven't figured that out yet. I got to take some of my own medicine. Maybe 2019 is the year, okay? But whether it's a book or whether it's your health and fitness or whether it's a relationship or whether it's your relationship with God, whatever it is, the, the, the compound effect is working for you or against you. So when we open up the Bible and we look at it, if this is true, if, it, if this is a real thing, if this is a, a thing in reality, we ought to see it in the Bible. We ought to see it in examples of it or instructions, and in fact, we do. God told Joshua, when Joshua was getting ready to take the the children of Israel into the promised land, this was the instructions that God gave Joshua. Study this book of instruction continually, consistently, repeatedly. I want you to meditate on it, which is to focus your mind and focus your thinking on it. How often? How often? Say it with me day and night, in the morning and in the evening. I want you to study it, think about it, memorize it all the time, day in and day out. Why? So that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. And only then, Joshua, listen, only then, after you meditate, after you study, day in and day out, after you do this every single day, only then, God, only then, Joshua, will you prosper and be successful in all that you do. Wow. Jesus would say it this way when he was talking to some people who who were contemplating whether or not they should follow him and be his disciple. He said, look, here's the deal. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, my student, my apprentice, my understudy must deny themselves. That's not very fun. (laughs) Must deny themselves and take up their cross. That doesn't sound fun either. The cross was a, 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 a tool of death. It was an instrument of execution. You must deny yourself and take up your cross ah, every once in a while. Is that what it says? It says if you want to be my disciple, my dedicated student, my understudy, my apprentice, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross on Monday, on Tuesday. On Wednesday, see a lot of some of us we're people of faith, and we think that Sunday is the day to be spiritual. And so we're in church today, and the snow scared some of us away. I understand. But we think Sunday is the day, and we think that ought to do it. Jesus says, No, it's a Monday thing, it's a Tuesday thing, it's a Wednesday thing, it's a Thursday, it's a Friday, it's a Saturday, it's an everyday thing. And and when we do that, guess what happens? We end up being rich towards God. We end up having a passionate, intimate relationship with God because we have done this every single day, not just once a week. That is the power of the compound effect. It affects Listen, This, this affects, if you're a student today, this, this, your grades are a reflection of the compound effect. You're either leveraging it or it's, it's beating you up, okay? If you're an athlete, if you're a student athlete, this, this principle is either blessing you or your game is struggling, okay? Because you think you can just go work out, you know, like once a week and it's supposed to make a difference. Or you can study maybe once a week and you're supposed to get a straight A's. Listen, it doesn't work that way. It's the compound effect. It's every single day working at this deal. And then it accumulates and accumulates. And here's our problem, and this is our issue, okay? This is why I'm struggling in certain areas of my life, and I don't have a book, and I'm certain that there's areas in your life that you wish would be different, but it's not there yet, whether it's a relationship or whatever. Here's our problem. We struggle with chronic inconsistency. We start. We stop. We begin, we end. I can't tell you how many times I started to write a book. Probably 15 times, and then I stop. I start, and I stop, and I start, and I stop. Chronic inconsistency. And I've got my reasons. It's hard. Oh, man, it's hard. I'm not a writer, you know. I don't really know what I'm going to say, you know. i got my reasons. My schedule's busy. Oh, my gosh, i got three kids, you know, church pastor stuff. Look, I got my reasons. You got your reasons. Everybody's got reasons. They're like belly buttons. They're all filled with kind of like flint, and you know, kind of like lint or something. Gross. Like you got your excuses. I'm tired. I don't feel. I don't feel like working out today. You know, I worked hard yesterday. Oh, okay. That's fine. You're just being consistent. And you won't leverage the compound effect. You won't become the person you were designed to be, the player you were designed to be, the student you were designed to be, the spouse you were designed to be, whatever, the employee you were designed to be. You won't get there because, oh, you're tired. Everybody's tired. Nobody feels like doing what they need to do, right? Get in the gym and do the workouts and stick to the diet. Nobody feels like that. We're inconsistent. Napoleon Hill said in his book, Think and Grow Rich, the majority of people, think about that. It's not that hard to be in the top 1% because the majority of people are ready to throw in their aims and their purposes. They're just ready to throw them overboard. Watch, at the first sign, the first sign of opposition or misfortune. I'm done. I don't wanna do it anymore. It's hard, it's difficult. Do you hear what I got criticized. They called me names, blah, 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 blah. I don't wanna do it anymore. At the first sign, most people are are ready to give up on their aims and purposes. We're chronically inconsistent. Jim Collins is the author of Good to Great, Built to Last, How the Mighty Fall, three great business books. Listen to what he said. He said, mediocrity, and I'm not okay with mediocrity. I hope you're not either, okay? If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you're probably not okay with mediocrity. Mediocrity, being average, is the product of chronic inconsistency. I'm gonna work out once, a week. I'm going to do the the deal once a week. That's not how it works. We must be consistent. Now that's a simple answer to the problem. But how do we become consistent? That really is the question. And I know that's the one that's on the tip of your mind, right? Am I right? If you're watching right now, you're like, okay, but how do I do that? Maybe not. But that's what I dream about. Okay. How do we become consistent? I'm asking myself the same question in the areas that I want to improve in and the things that I want to do and the, the, to fulfill the vision that I have in my life? And the answer is very, very simple. Not easy, but it's very simple. We must create a new habit. We must create a new habit. Recently, I read a book called Atomic Habits, and uh, I love the subtitle, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. You don't have to have radical change in your life. You just have to, you just have, to have a small change. Every single day. James Clear defines a habit like this. He says, A habit is a behavior that has been repeated enough times to become... Automatic. We've done something so many times over and over and over that you, you do it now without even thinking. We all have these habits, right? So some, of, some, some of you have a habit with, with pop. You know, every day you just you know, stop by the gas station, just get a, a 64 ounce, you know, mega jumbo biggie daddy drink, you know, bigger than your head. You know, you know, you know who you are. You know, 64 cents for 64 ounces or something like that. And, and you just have a habit. You, know, you don't even think. You don't even think about it. It's, you do it every day, it's so automatic. And now you're on a 20-day, 20 21-day fast and, and you find yourself at the gas station. You're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. But you weren't thinking. Because a habit is something you did so many times that you do it without thinking. We all have these habits. I had a friend of mine who's got a brother who told me about one of the strangest habits I've ever heard of. He said, sometimes when his brother gets nervous, he'll pull his eyelashes out. And I was like, what? No, he doesn't. He's like, no, he didn't have any eyelashes. He pulled them all out. Get out of here. No, he does. I know two people who do that now. Somebody came up to me after the service and I do that too. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I understand biting your nails, but, but why would you do that? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a habit. It's just do something you do over and over without even thinking. You know, some of us wash our hands without, you know, we just 17 times a day. We just don't even think about it. Some people, they know the door is locked at night. Tell me if this is you. Tell me if I know. You know the door is locked. You locked it. But yet you get up out of bed and you go check the door again. And then somebody says, well, why do you do that? Well, I don't know. I just, I just do it. I just do it. It's automatic. I love it when people come up to me. and they, they say, Danny, you know, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I say, really? And they feel like they're saying something like they're unique, you know. It's like, uh, we're, all, we're all creatures of habit. Like God has created us to to do things without thinking because if we had to think about everything we had to do we would like be stuck in mud all day long right well, i gotta think about this i gotta think about this i gotta think about turning right i'm gonna think about turning right no we just put the clicker on and we turn right right so most of our behaviors are, are habitual they're, we don't even think we just do them they're natural to us and that is the way god created us and so what we want to do what we need to do to become consistent is create positive habits in our life that will help us to become the person that you said you wanted to be or that God has called you to be. That is the power of habit. Daniel is a perfect example in the Bible. Some of you know the story about Daniel in the lion's den, you remember from, from uh, Sunday school years ago or, or whatever, but essentially Daniel becomes you know, one of the big dog leaders in Darius's kingdom, one of, one of three guys, and he's doing such a good job that King Darius wants to put him over the other two, okay? And there's 120 different provinces or towns and, and essentially, the other two and other administrators become jealous of Daniel. And he's just this awesome dude who's faithful to God. He tells the truth. He's consistent. He does his job well. And, and so they become jealous. And they say, well, we can't find any cracks in his character. We can't find anything to accuse him of. So let's use his religion against him. And they knew that he was a God worshiper and, and King Darius wasn't. And the kingdom wasn't set up that way. And it was a secular kingdom. And so they said, let's come up with this law that says no one can pray to anyone but King Darius for 30 days. That's, that's how we're going to trap Daniel. And if somebody does pray uh, to anybody but Darius in the next 30 days, they'll be thrown into the den of lions. And so sure enough, they write this law up. King Darius signs it, and now it becomes a decree, and it's irrevocable. And uh, I want you to see what happens next in Daniel chapter 6. Watch this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down, watch this, as Usual, interesting statement, in his upstairs room, come back to that in a second, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Watch what he did. And there he prayed three times a day, just that he just as he had always done. Now, if you know the rest of the story, the administrators witness this, they go to King Darius, oh, we got him. He prayed to somebody he should have prayed to. And now King Darius really liked Daniel. And so he felt brokenhearted, but he had to, he signed the law. So he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And, you know, God showed up and closed the lion's mouths. And this miracle happened. It was awesome. And then, you know, Darius got the guys who were trying to trap Daniel. He grabbed them and threw them into the lion's den. And, and the lions had lunch. And it's a great story because everybody dies in the end. Don't you love those stories? Everybody but the hero, of course. And no, I'm just kidding. But, but they all get eaten up by the lions. Here's the incredible part of this story. Every time I've always heard this story, I've, I've heard Daniel put in the sight, like, look how godly he was. Look how much he loved God. Look how dedicated he was. Look, look, look how much integrity he had. Like he wouldn't buckle under the pressure, even up for his own life. And I agree with all that. I agree. Daniel was a godly man. Daniel prioritized his relationship with God. He was dedicated. He was devoted. I agree with all of that. I think he loved God above everything else in his life. However, Because I understand the power of habit, I would make the argument that Daniel couldn't not pray. I know that's a double negative, but hear me out. Daniel had prayed so often, every single day, morning, noon, and night, as usual, upstairs in his room, that no matter what anybody said, he was going to do what he had always done. Why? Because he had a what? A habit. What is a habit? It's something you do so often and repeat so often that you do it without even thinking. It's like you can't stop. So of course he went upstairs three times a day to pray, even though the king said, if you do it, you're going to be thrown into the den of lions. Wow. Can you imagine if you had a habit like that? That no matter what was going on, no matter what the pressures were or what people were saying to you or whatever was going on in your life, you're like, I just do this every single day no matter what pressures come to me. Something would tell me that eventually you would see the vision of your life fulfilled. Yes or no, am I crazy? So what do we need? We need a new habit in order to become consistent. The question now is, What's the best way to create a new habit? Well, the answer is simple, but it's not easy. The best way to form a new habit is to create a plan. It's all about a plan. In the book, Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about some research done in 2001. Some British researchers got 248 people together to do this little project to see if they couldn't help them develop better exercise routines. And they divided the, the 248 people up into three different groups. The first group, they said, all we want you guys to do is to track your workouts. Second group, we're gonna, we, we want you to track your workouts, but we also are going to give you some information about the health benefits of exercise to your heart, your cardiovascular system, all that stuff. The third group, they said, we're going to want you to track your workouts. Here's the information about the health benefits of exercise. And then we also want you to do this third thing called the implementation intention. That's what they called it. Here's what it looks like. That's a simple plan. I will spend 20 minutes on the elliptical behavior at 7 o'clock in the morning. At the gym, it's a simple, tiny little plan, and they had to physically write it out every single morning. They had to plan their exercise every morning. Here's what the researchers found: 35 percent of group one started exercising at least once a week. 38 percent of group two started exercising uh, once a week. It, it, it was almost almost exactly similar. Group number three: 91 percent of group number three started exercising at least one time a week why what was the difference it was a simple plan James Clear in the book said it like this his conclusion. People who make a specific plan for when and where they will perform a new habit are more likely to follow through. So all you do is the night before you just set up a little plan. Let me give you an example. If you want to exercise and, or create a better exercise routine, you say, I will exercise at 6:30 a.m. at the gym. And you just make that little plan right there before you go to bed at night. Or let's say you have this vision of becoming, you know, closer to God and hearing his voice and loving him more, and you want to read the scriptures, watch this. I will read the Bible as your behavior at 7. o'clock in the morning a.m. at my kitchen table or whatever location you want maybe it's in your basement or whatever and you write down this simple little plan guess what the odds of doing that behavior go through the roof why why does having a plan help us create a new habit and here's the here's what the research showed because it leverages two of the most important cues time and location time and location. They say, what's a cue? Well, every habit works the same way. There's a cue. There's desire or craving. Then there's the action or the routine. And then there's the reward. Give you an example. You smell some cookies. What happens? That's the cue. Chocolate chip cookies. Then you what? Step two, you crave. I want some. Then step number three, you eat, Cookie Monster. (laughs) And then step number four, you get the the reward of the sugar and the taste and and the feeling in your belly or whatever. Give you another example. Right? You wake up in the morning, and you're groggy, and what do, you, what, do you just, what do you start to crave? To be alert. So you want that coffee, and, and then you, you drink it, and then you get the reward of the caffeine, helping you become more alert. Give you another example. Your cell phone buzzes. That's a big one. There's your cue. Now all of a sudden, you're like, oh, did somebody like my post? Did somebody text me? Oh, who's texting? Who's texting me? Now I crave, I want to know, then I do what? I pick it up. Whoa, what's going on? Ooh, ah, ooh, she said, he said, he did, whatever. Who cares? (laughs) And then you get the reward of the dopamine of finding out what happened and who said what. Every habit works the same way. Why does having a plan help you create a new habit, which leads to more consistency? Here's why. Because it leverages two of the most important cues, which every habit needs a cue to start with. Time and location. Isn't this what Daniel had? Every single day he would go to his upstairs room, there's location, and he would pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Time and location, time and location. It's the implementation intention. Jesus had this figured out 2,000 years ago before James Clear got all smart and wrote a book about it, okay? Now, I'm not saying he's not smart, and, and but Jesus had this deal figured out this, let me show you what Jesus did as, as a habit. One of his habits was to spend time with his father. Listen, Mark chapter one. Very early in the morning before it was dark. What's that? Time. Come on, a little bit more. Come on, what's that? Time. Very early in the morning before the, before the sun was even up. Jesus got up and left his house and he went off to a solitary place. Time, location, time, location. And what did he do at that place? He prayed. He communed with his father. He talked to God. He heard God's voice. He spoke back to his father. This verse changed my life. Listen, I cannot tell you the last time that I did not spend at least uh, 30 minutes with God on any particular day. And I don't say that to brag. Please hear my heart. I have a lot of faults and failures and fears and doubts and all those things. But I cannot tell you the last time I didn't spend time in the Word of God, writing down some thoughts, and spending some time in prayer. Now, you say, How? wow, that's impressive. No, no, it's not, it's not really. You say, you must do that because you love God and you're a pastor. Well, I, maybe. I do love God, and I think he's awesome, and I think he's the primary relationship in my life, and I prioritize him. But I don't think that's why I spend time with God so consistently. I don't think so. I think it's because I have a habit I think because every morning when I wake up, I have this cue. It's called waking up. And then I have this desire, this craving to please God, to love him. to, And so that leads me to, to take action. And I read and I pray. And, I... and then I have the reward in the back end of having heard his voice or getting clarity or confessing my sin or whatever it is. Being tight with him. And I've done that every single day for, for who knows how long. Just... One after another after another. And my relationship with God probably doesn't look like this, but it's getting fuller. It's getting fuller as the years go by in my life. I'm understanding Him better. I'm hearing His voice more. I'm getting more clarity. I know His will a little bit better. I'm trying to become more like Him. And every single day, it's the accumulation factor. Not there yet, but it's building and it's building and it's building. Again, not because I'm the most spiritual person or I love God the most. No, no, there's people in this church that probably love God more than me. No doubt about it, right? We're a family here, right? But it's just, I just have this habit, like Daniel did. It's just, I just get up, do this, do this, do this. Use that in my workout routine, I plan it, the implementation. Every day I'm gonna work out at LA Fitness at this time. I write it down, I write it down. Before I even read the book, I was writing it down. Now, I need habits in other areas of my life that I like writing a book. That's my plan for this year, <laughs> that's the power of habit. My question for you today is this, how or what habit do you need to create in your life? What new habit do you need in your life to create the consistency that you need to fulfill the vision that you said you wanted to see fulfilled in the beginning of this year? What new habit? See, if you don't have the habit, you won't be consistent. The first sign of misfortune or difficulty, you're gonna throw the towel in and give up. And you're gonna be inconsistent once a week, twice a week at best. And that's not how the compound effect works. What new habit, listen, you gotta do this stuff, please. This is not a talk. This is not, I don't want you to leave here and go, oh, that was interesting. what do you think about that? It was good, it was funny. Oh, you said some good stuff. No, no, like this is like, I'm your coach and you need to leave here and do some homework, okay? And like, what is the homework? What is the new habit you need to create? Is it an eating routine? Is it a leaving work at a certain time routine so you can be home with your family and have dinner? Is it a spending time with God routine? What is the new habit you need to create in your life so that you can see that vision fulfilled? John Dryden said it this way. He said, we first make our habits and our habits make us. Man, I was watching something about Kobe Bryant the other day and I'm an MJ fan. Listen, MJ's, MJ's better. It's just no, there's no question about it. But, but, but. I was watching some YouTube stuff on Kobe the other day. Man, he's blowing my mind. He was talking about his, his day. Somebody said, well, what did your daily rhythm look like when you were, you know, in the prime and in your career? He said, man, I would wake up at 4 o'clock and I would do this workout. And then, at, and then at 12, I would go home and rest and eat. And, I would then do, and then I would do this workout at 12. And then I'd rest again. And I would work out at 6 again and do this workout at 6. It's like... The people are like, he's so gifted. He's, oh my gosh, God has given him such a gift. No, no. Yes, but no. It was every single day. And Larry Bird before him and Julius Erving before him and Isaiah Thomas, you know, all all these different guys. Every single day. It's the compound effect. Hey, that's hard. Most people want nothing to do with that. Okay. Then, then don't expect this. Don't expect a, a, an incredible relationship with God. Don't expect an incredible marriage. Don't expect to be at the top of your class in, a, in a academics or athletics. Don't expect this if you're not willing to do this every single day. If you're not willing to do that every single day, everything you have is a wish, it's an intention, it's a dream, and it'll never be fulfilled. I'm getting on you right now, I'm getting on myself, because we've got to be consistent if we wanna see our visions come to fruition. Does that make sense? You agree, yes or no? Now, no one is more consistent than God. Please do not tune me out right now. You think about it. Did the sun come up this morning? Has the, listen, has the sun come up every single morning since Genesis 1-1? You talk about consistency. There is no one more consistent than our God. Every single day, you know what he does? He pursues you with something called love. He is love himself. And every single day he's communicating through someone like me, through nature, through a friend. And here's what he's saying. I want to be in a tight relationship with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I love you. Look what I did for you on the cross. I sent my son to this earth. He died on the cross. He gave his life. Jesus said this about himself. There is no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. There's no other way. There's no other way to communicate it. There's no other way to demonstrate it. He did that so that he could be in a relationship with you. Have you received that yet? Have you stepped into that yet? Do you know God? Is he your savior? Have you received his love? Have you received his grace and mercy? Oh, I hope you are, because he has a habit of relentlessly pursuing you and he's doing it right now. Will you respond? Will you receive, will you open up your heart to God's love and become his child today? I hope you will. I'm going to say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own. Step into a relationship with God. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm talking about living life with God starting right now. That's the invitation. Take these words, make them your own. This moment is designed for you and you alone. Reach out in faith and talk to Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. Thank you for giving your life on the cross to pay for my sin, to cancel the debt, to remove the penalty, the barrier, to bridge the gap between you and I. And in this moment right now I do receive your grace, your mercy, and your love. Wash me of my sin, cleanse me, and make me your child. And from this day forward, help me, help me to know your will and and your ways and, and your heart. Lead my life. Show me the path to peace and joy and true and lasting happiness. I turn my life over to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, there's rejoicing in heaven and there's also rejoicing in this room. Can we give God glory? Come on, guys, nice and loud. Amen. Before you leave here today, whether it's online or at one of our campuses, if you prayed and trusted Christ today, we would love to put a new believer's Bible in your hand. It's at the back of the auditorium. If you did it online, there's a little spot there you can check that says, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, God, can we, can we give God glory, guys? Hey, I want to close today. I want to close out today with um, a little ceremony that God gave us Jesus gave us many many years ago he said you know I want you to from time to time uh, I want you to drink some juice and I want you to eat some bread it's called communion it's an ordinance a ritual a habit that the church is supposed to keep going on a regular basis and Jesus said one time when you eat the bread I want you to remember it's a symbol of my broken body like I allowed my body to be brutalized whipped beaten and eventually nailed to a cross. So the bread, when you take the bread and you put it in your mouth, it's a symbol of my broken body. And then when you drink the juice, whether it's wine or grape juice or whatever it is, when you drink it, I want you to understand that that symbolizes, that represents the blood that came out of my body. The spilled blood that, that redeemed you from your sins, that covered your guilt. So every so often, I just want you to have this habit of eating and drinking. And when you do it, remember my love, remember my sacrifice, and remember grace and mercy. And so right now, we're going to receive communion. And if you just trusted Christ as your Savior, we would invite you to partake. And if you're already a believer, we invite you to partake. If you have not yet become a believer and trusted Christ, we would ask you to sit this part out and just observe observe the people of God reflect and be reminded of the glory the grace the love and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and maybe today maybe today as you take receive communion you say you know what I'm going to refocus my life on serving Jesus if he gave his life for me if he died for me the least I could do is live for him like that's the way I think about it like he died in my place I should have paid the penalty. You should have paid the penalty. If he's going to give his life, then maybe the least I can do is honor him with my life. So maybe today you just rededicate your life to serving him and loving him as you receive communion as a believer. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this habit, this ritual, this ordinance that you gave the church to celebrate communion. We remember in this moment the crucifixion, the 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 body of your son that was broken on our behalf. The blood that came out of his body to pay for our sins. You gave your very best. You gave your only son so that we could know you and be in fellowship with you. We remember his sacrifice today. We refocus our life on serving you and loving you and honoring you in this moment. May this moment in our church, bring a smile to your face as we try to honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.